Hello, friend. Carm Capriato here. Remarkable Results Radio is episode 508. This episode is the third part of a wide-open panel I moderated last September 2019 at the ASA Illinois annual meeting. In this episode, it'll speak to the need for higher professionalism, marketing, and the importance of an employee handbook. It's changing the model of everything that we do so that we are a more professional business and we apply to more people because the young people, this is their expectation. Welcome, aftermarketers, to Remarkable Results Radio. Listen to learn just one thing from today's episode on your journey to remarkable results. Hey, Carm Capriato, the Automotive Aftermarket Podcast guy, and Remarkable Results Radio is so proud to talk to you about Apex. Now, hey, I was there. Apex 2019 was phenom, and it's in the record books, but I must say that Apex did live up to presenting leading-edge technology from the suppliers, but they also did a great job of showcasing the emerging technology of tomorrow. Now, you've got plenty of time to plan for 2020. Yes, November 3rd through the 5th, 2020, to be exact. Write that down. And big news this year, Repair Shop HQ will debut at Apex 2020. Apex, now more than ever. Hey, if you've not subscribed to all three podcasts that we produce, then you need to. Remarkable Results has been your standard bearer for five years, and we recently segmented the Town Hall Academy and the For the Record podcast into their own stream or subscription. Now, they continue to be free and on demand. Nice way to see how you can do this. Go to remarkableresults.biz slash listen. Get the links to subscribe. It's easy, so uh, you don't want to miss one episode. And I've also got a video to show you how to do that, too. If you love what we do here, producing four aftermarket episodes each and every week for you, drop a cup of coffee in my hand. Go to remarkableresults.biz slash coffee. Now you know how much I love my coffee. And right now, I'm drinking some French roast. Hey, look for me at Vision 2020 this year. Please stop by and say hello. My studio will be just outside the expo hall. Please pick up a sticker and display it proudly. I was honored to moderate an all-day panel discussion with the ASA Illinois Annual Member Meeting and give my keynote September 2019. Now, this was an exceptional panel that brought their A-game. Five hours of great discussion that we edited down into five different consumable episodes, this being part three. With me is Donnie Seifer from Seifer's Automotive and NASDAQ, Jeremy O'Neill, Freedom Automotive and Advisor Fix, Danny Sanchez is here from Auto Shop Solutions, Sarah Frazier from Haas Performance Consulting, and attorney Noah Frank. Find the show notes at remarkableresults.biz slash E508. Now, there is no legal advice given in this episode. I hope you find the power in these audio workshops and take just one spark of an idea and implement it. Sarah, the multi-generations that we have in our business, in fact, I, I interview so many shop owners that are proud to say, yeah, I've got uh, some techs there, five years now, 10 years. Well, that makes them, you know, some Gen Xs and some millennials in the workforce. How do we manage this multi-generational workforce? That's a great question. It's, you really have to understand your employees to manage them. And, and you talked about this earlier in your presentation about getting to know them, learning what they're interested in. Um, we all think and act a little bit differently, and it's just trying to understand how that person works and, and what works well for them. So yeah, as a, a millennial and as Generation Z, I talked about how we have a little bit of a different expectation coming into the workplace. 
As a millennial, I like to be told exactly what to do. This is how you're going to do it, when you're going to do it. Generation Z is a little bit different. They're a little bit more of a self-starter. They're going to, if you give them a project, they're probably going to tackle it on their own and not need to be babysat. You know, what was fascinating when I interviewed Sarah about Gen Z, um, what, I, what I discovered was that Gen Z is a, a, a little bit like baby boomers. They are. They've been called the baby, baby boomers. So they're very, very different than my generation and the millennial who we've been called the trophy kids. We've been taking care of them. <laughs> and it's our, our fault lives. that they're the trophy kids, <laughs> by the way. Um, we've kind of been, you know, and even going back to the HR thing, we kind of get picked on for being sensitive. And I don't think that millennials are sensitive. I think we just will no longer tolerate things that we know are inappropriate. So if I just said to a millennial employee, you can't have your phone in the bay, would that Gosh, be wrong? That, that would be like world ending. That's our <laughs> lifeline. You know, what if what if my husband needs me, my kid needs me, my family needs me? You know, everything's in our In phones. my connected world. Yeah. So if you take a phone away from an employee, like that's... Now, there needs to be... They shouldn't be on their phone all the time, obviously. There should be a guideline to it, but... To say it needs to be locked up in a locker, that's that's not going to work for me if I can't have access to it. <laughs> I'm totally okay with you making them put it away during work. I have an office with almost 30 of them, so I know what it's like to live in this environment. Cell phones or employees? Uh, both. I think we have more than that in cell phones, but employees. Yeah. Cell phones, 30 employees. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, exactly, because many of them do have two. She, I mean, I, I was just making that comment, but I'll add a little bit. Like Sarah's 100% right. There is a difference between the two generations, and it is very visible in the way that they work in an environment. And we have had to make a lot of adjustments and accommodations uh, to keep up productivity. Um, and this is just another area that the automotive industry just has to keep up with pace. I agree with him. If you're working on cars, you need to not have so many distractions because you're putting something back together that somebody's got to roll down the street that is essentially a 4,000-pound missile. Um, that can do a lot of harm. So there needs to be less distractions. And that needs to, but to hit, I'm going to put words in your mouth. So I started to take away some of your thunder. But as he would say, this is why you need to have employment agreements right from the beginning. This is the failure right from the get go, is to be professional right from the start when somebody gets hired and you're bringing them on board with the expectation that our primary concern here is the safety of our clients. And because of that, we want to limit our distractions. I don't want to cut you off from the outside world. But the fact is, is that we have to put our clients first, and there's some elements of how we operate in order to do that. Um, and I, I'm sure he, so you're saying it needs to be in the handbook. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, actually, how about just having a handbook? How about starting for that, right? Oh, my God. I opened up I, a I'm can not, of worms. Do not make them raise their hands, but I guarantee you in a room full of 100 shop owners, that if you asked how many actually had a handbook, it would be a Ten. depressingly low number. Ten. Yeah, I know. Oh, by the way, oh my God, Jeremy. Jeremy just said they're the same handbook copied. And and, and what is, uh, God, we've covered this on the podcast. Somebody says, somebody says hey, listen, call me, let me know. I'll email you mine. And then it would be the worst thing to do is to take anyone's handbook and decide to make it your own. It would be just like, it's it's crime. Yeah. So, Danny, thank you for selling my services. I, I appreciate that. Um, you, can, you can keep doing it. Actually, you guys have all been doing it all day, so thank you. Um, but, you know, one of, the, one of those things, and we keep talking about this, the millennials, the Gen Zs, and the information that's out there. You know, one of the confusing issues that I see that employers have is, again, that information that's out on the, on the Internet, which is an employee comes to the employer and says, I get something. I get 
12 weeks of paid leave. And you're like, where, where did this come from, right? Just out of curiosity, who has more than 50 employees? No one here, okay? So no one here is actually subject to the Family Medical Leave Act, right? Because you have under 50, five, zero employees. But employees go online and they, they find things about this. Or um, I love when they find California, uh, the, family, the Fair Family Leave Act there. And I'm like, this has nothing to do with an Illinois employer. Or if you have a shop in Iowa or Wisconsin or Michigan, right, or Indiana, like the, these laws don't, in, you know, the California law doesn't control your workplace. But the employee does a Google search and they come across some employer's, some uh, attorney's blog, which by the way, ours is on our, on our uh, materials, so feel free to sign up for our free blog to stay on top of things. There's another commercial. There we go, um, which will be cut out because we didn't pay for sponsorship. Um, so, um, but your employees will come to you and they'll, and they'll raise these issues and you're like, where is this coming from? And it's confusing, right? Because your job is not to be an employment lawyer and to know all these laws. Your job is to run a business. And it's, you know, again, it's one of those things where if you have it in your handbook up front, you know, you also know where, what the law is as long as your handbook is compliant with Illinois law. You know, when somebody says to you, I need time off uh, to go to my kid's uh, doctor's appointment, you'll know what the law is. When, the kid, when they say, I need to go to my kid's school program, you'll know what the law is. It's in, your, it's in your handbook. It tells them how to ask for it. It tells you how to administer it. So it, it really does help you run your business a lot like, you know, having your, your technical manuals. It tells you, how do you change a tire? I mean, like, people should know how to do that, but millennials don't, and Gen Zs will figure it out from YouTube. So. Carm, to go back to Sarah's comment on Gen Z, you've got an interview with the Wheat Ridge High School STEM kids. Yeah. Who are all Zs. Yeah. If you want to hear how they operate, right from their own mouths. Yeah. And if you aren't excited about that generation as auto repair professionals. Amazing. They're, they're absolutely amazing. Totally, totally amazing. I mean, it's so worth listening to that episode. You know, it's worth, and it's worth mentioning in this too, that we're dealing with, and like I, I can, without taking too big of a leap. I know there's quite a, f a few people sitting in this room thinking, well, that's all fine and dandy. But when you need technicians to turn the actual wrenches, you know, all these uh, filters and limitations become a little bit unrealistic when you need to have somebody who's actually standing in the bay ready to get the work done. And I get, I get that. And that is the core of where this all stems from in the first place is that we have a technician shortage. And actually filtering out people who would be willing and ready to work in, in a shop environment and get paid for it, those numbers are dwindling. And this is the reason why it's tough to implement some of these changes in any business environment is because hey, you're afraid that you're going to lose the few people that you have access to. And it's all real. So uh, it, it doesn't – I'm not solving the problem. I get that there's a shortage, but we're not doing a lot to solve that. I'm not going to get on the soapbox about that. And Donnie and I could sit here and rail for about yeah. – 20 hours maybe or more about the things that we need to do to make that happen. But at least understanding why you're feeling the way you're feeling is critically important to making those kinds of decisions. Is that, yes, I get that you've got a limited pool of people to pull from, which makes it even more the reason why, to Sarah's point, the millennials and Gen Zs, you've got to treat them right from the beginning and establish all their boundaries so that you can keep good employees doing really, really well and give them the expectations that are going to help them be successful and then retain the great technicians that you have. Because it's way more important right now to retain than it is finding new ones, if that makes some sense. Like customers. 
Yes, I think setting the expectation at the beginning is huge because we respond to transparency so well. We want to know everything. We want the full truth right up front. If you say you're going to do something, then do it. Mm -hmm. If you don't do what you said that you were going to, you know, if you tell me I'm going to get a performance review in 30 days, you better give me a performance review in 30 days. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, now you've lied to me and you've lost my trust and you no longer have my respect. So I think that's huge. You know, to Danny's point, actually to everybody's point here, but Danny said, well, we're afraid to implement these things. Mm -hmm. I think we can't afford not to because that's exactly what the kids we're looking for want. And it's actually their parents. I mean, I was just telling Jeremy, I said, I think I'm a Gen Z. I think I changed my position because I, I go look at the YouTube and go, oh, that's crap. But maybe I could try that. So, I, you know, I think that we have to implement those things if we want to attract and not be afraid that, well, they're not going to come because we have so many rules. They're going to come because we have the rules. So the story is, is how do I start? How do I assimilate those generations into my business? What's the answer, team? I think you support it. Um, you know, one of the things that, you know, you mentioned about the commoditization of things like an oil change, right, or tire rotation, right? Things that anybody can learn. I, I say that facetiously, but like anybody can learn it on YouTube and, and do something like that, right? And then there are some people who say, you know, look, I don't want to make the investment of all the parts to do an oil change and figure out how to do it. And there's some people who say, you know what, I will save the money on doing it. Okay, it's a commoditized property. You guys want the higher revenue jobs anyway, right? If you can, if you can get a job that takes an hour, right? Takes so long for the oil to drain out of a car. You can't. How much more can you do to get it out any faster? But there's other things that are very specialized that somebody can't figure out on YouTube. Those are the jobs you want. You can charge more for it. It's better, right? It's higher quality work. It's higher revenue work. So. To some degree, I say embrace it. Embrace that Gen Z, that millennial attitude of trying to figure it out. Heck, if that person can come to you because they've already watched the YouTube video and they say, my car goes ba-dump, 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 and it should go like, great. They've already told you like half the, not half the problem, but they've already given you some information to start it, which maybe that saves you 15 minutes of diagnostics work. Yeah. No, thank you for that. L let me challenge the thinking in a different way. How do I take my millennial workforce and embrace them and give them what they want and bring that transparency to them. And, and, and I think there's just a very, very few secrets on how to make it happen. Well, first off, you have to start understanding them early on. And with the STEM kids at Wee Ridge High School, I've been involved with them since that program started. And it changed my entire opinion of kids, even though I have three of my own. It just took, because I thought my kids were unique. Um, but it just changed the way I look at them. And the a most amazing thing that came out of that interview that we did with them that Sarah's dad did for us at Cars yeah. a few years ago yeah. was that adorable girl who stood up there and said, well, you guys never told us anything about your business. Why the hell would we come look at you? Yeah. Yeah. Would you come to work for us? What do you do? Well, yeah. What do you do? Right. It wasn't that long ago where history of a business, if you look at us from 30, 40 years ago, there were still pictures of girls in bikinis on the walls. And that became just the process of bringing those down in a 30 to 40 period of time. And 20 years ago, we were just, there were shops that were on the cutting edge. They were actually having clean shops, painting the floors and painting the walls. It was cutting edge stuff. Um, you know, it has only been in the last 10 years 
uh, that, you know, having just a little bit more professional environment is getting to be something a little bit more normal. And really, you look at even just five years ago, I mean, the shiny penny was being woman friendly. What the hell does that mean? I mean, are we actually saying, and Sarah, I mean, no, right. Sarah, I mean, I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask a question. I'm going to ask a question. I don't know the answer to, and a good lawyer would tell you, you never do this. And I'm right. going to ask just the same a lawyer, Sarah, does a shop saying that they're women friendly influence you on wanting to come to the shop? No, um, I think a shop should be human friendly. It's unbelievably patronizing. I've asked many, many women this question. It's the same answer that she gave. It's, it's unbelievably patronizing to think that one gender or one class of people that we're working with, we want to cater to. But five years ago, six years ago, somebody came out with the idea that the industry needs to be more women friendly and actually put a little icon on your on your website. It costs you a couple hundred bucks a month to be able to say, and I don't know what you did list-wise to actually be woman-friendly, but you had to jump through a couple hoops and boom, amazing, now you're woman-friendly. Our industry is professional. We take care of all sorts of people. It does not matter what gender they are or what color they are. Anybody who walks in the door that has a car is somebody that we need to take care of in the community. Who cares what they are in between then? But nonetheless, I can tell you stories from when I was co coaching and consulting clients that a guy believed that painting his bathroom pink changed his business, that he saved his business. Because people were amazed that the, the bathroom was painted pink and that the women were starting to pour in and they were telling their friends, hey, come in. Now, of course, it had nothing to do with the fact that he was being more professional or that he actually cleaned the bathroom. <laughs> and nothing to do with that or the fact that they were just better on the counter or a little bit smiling a little bit now and then. No, it was just because the bathroom got painted pink. Clearly, we're now more women-friendly, right? The power of pink. I yes. love it. Right. So, just, uh, so uh, our industry really is still evolving in this way. And I'm not picking on anybody who hasn't painted their bathroom pink or hasn't, uh, hasn't decided to be uh, women-friendly or not women-friendly, but this is the same application to our clients. Yeah, yes, of course, we want new clients to come in. We want them to, uh, to find us as a place to, to build a relationship with, right, that we are taking care of them for a long period of time. But that same exact process applies to how we have internal people working with us. It's having that more professional environment, not just creating a woman-friendly environment. No, it's professional for everybody in the way that the men should be acting, regardless whether they're women present or not. It's changing the model of everything that we do so that we are a more professional business and we apply to more people because the young people, this is their expectation. Can we have an amen, by the way? Amen. We um, had a shop recently that had a female mechanic apply, and they were a little apprehensive about bringing her on board. And one of the things they were apprehensive about is we're a shop of 10 guys, and now are we going to have to change our behavior because there's a female here? And I'm thinking if you're going to have to change your behavior because there's a female there, you probably should be changing your behavior anyway. Amen. So, yeah. and they brought her on. She's a great technician. She's doing awesome. Um, business is doing great. I do want to get back to the point you were asking about how do we um, bring millennials in to work for us and Gen Z and what's enticing to them. And a, a huge part of that is we want a job in which we're making a difference. We want something in which we're doing value to somebody. So I think for our industry to show that we don't just fix cars, we fix problems. We help people get to work. We help people, you know, get their kids to daycare, those kind of things. We want to work in an environment where we're making a difference, where we're making a change. We want to work for a company that stands for something, that contributes to charity, that, you know, does practices green things. Um, all of those, I think, become very 
enticing environment to work in for us? That's the answer that I wanted, but the short answer that I was really, really looking for is just ask. Yeah. That's my point. Yeah, ask and, and sit on your hands and listen. As I mentioned earlier, we could read all the books we want. We could get all the advice we want of how we need to assimilate and treat the millennial and then never practice it if we don't ask what they want and then help deliver. Because I think the environment that you want to create, if the millennial is a big part of our workforce, then we have to treat our millennial employees the right way so they, again, love your people so they love your customers. And, and I think it goes back to the, to the whole goal thing that I had mentioned earlier. What are we doing to help our people actually have a great life? They care about that. Even though they're in the experience thing, hey, Facebook, I'm here, meet me here. And, you know, I have two millennial children. OMG. I mean, I'm about ready to have the rule that says put the cell phones in the middle of the table. You're here at home. We're having family dinner. <laughs> I, I did have a question about that. You were talking, you were saying you were okay with taking away the cell phone. What do you do about the watches? I mean, we can do almost everything on our smartwatch that we can do on our cell phone. So do we take that away now too? So like smart watches? Yeah. You want to wear one out in the shop environment? Knock yourself out. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. Go, Go ahead. Let's see, let's, let's see how that long. Yeah, we won't have to take that away. Knock okay. yourself I mean, out. I guess I'm talking more in the office, in the, in right. the shop office. Right. No, no, go, go ahead. No, no, your, your smart watch is more than welcome. By the way, we don't insure those while you're working. So, yeah, knock yourself out. Like, you know what? And I'm not, I can, I can tell you, if I was a shop owner today, I, I'm t there's some things that I can give advice on and some things I can't because I'm not in the shop environment anymore. And you know, when I was, uh, when I left the shop environment, cell phones were real, but they were still the big, you know, clunky flip phones. So it's not the same lifeline that it is today. So I, I can't speak directly to it, but I can tell you this, is there has to be some measure of safety in the shop. And the, the thing is, the reality is, is that the people who would work for me, uh, the, the the team that I would have on board that would be the long-term team, they would have to understand that. I'd have people who are growing with me that would be on board for that. I agree right. with that. Yep. The Apex 19 is in the record books and brought the best and brightest together to create an experience like no other. Now, I was so impressed with the impact Apex has in presenting emerging technology. They are on the cutting edge of the connected car, and you'll find everything you need to know on what you'll need to do to stay ahead of the curve. Regarding emerging technology, Apex will feature again in 2020 the latest trends that will have an impact on the service professional and equipment. Wow, see, feel, and touch the latest tools and equipment that will bring efficiencies to your business. And in 2020, there's going to be a separate section dedicated to the service professional shop. It'll be called Repair Shop Headquarters, and it's the place to be if you earn your living in the aftermarket. And for training, Apex will present some of the best aftermarket technician and management trainers in 2020. So mark your calendar right now. Put the date on it. Apex 2020, November 3rd through the 5th in Las Vegas. Listen right here to learn all about the exciting events and when you can start registering. Jeremy, we're, we're going to flip now. We're going we're gonna to pop another topic at you about advertising, reputation, and sales, my friend. Oh, yes. A plus R equals sales. So advertising plus reputation. So with your reputation, how many people out there love a one-star review? Come There's on. no hands up. Wait, There's wait, no. Regularly or once? But uh, just a one-star review. One. Okay. So what's interesting is the, um, let me talk marketing real quick. So Right, wrong, or indifferent, I'm not a fan of direct mail and loss leader advertising. I don't do it in my shop. I have not sent one piece of mail out, not even to a repeat client. So we don't use the postal service for anything. 
as more of a test market. So when you think about your advertising plus your reputation, the two of those go hand in hand. So when a new client in your marketplace is searching for an automotive repair shop, where are they going to go do research on that repair or service provider? Online. Okay. So top couple sites, they're going to check out Google. What else? <laughs> Look, check out. Yep. they're converts. They're coming around. Yes. Uh, they might go check out your Facebook page. How many of you get business from Facebook? Okay. So one of the things that I've tried to not just mail, but also automated, you know, review generators. So if I buy something on Amazon, I absolutely hate it when they send me an email or text that says, Hey, please rate us. As a consumer, my time is very limited. My time is more valuable than money. So you might want to write that down. Time is more valuable than money today. If you did a good job and you provided a five-star experience, you're going to get the organic review. So what I've based my entire business at Freedom Auto Pound is the organic review experience. I want the client to share the experience with the world. What you're going to find is this. Companies that automatically generate reviews for you get you the ranking, the four, the three, the five-star. But there's no story behind it. If you look at our reviews, what do you find in addition to the five-star reviews? Paragraphs of stories, right? And I want that story because when consumers, when the Sarahs of the world are reading the reviews, what is that going to tell them? It's real. We have real people working here. So we spend an incredible amount of time and our marketing dollars, we reinvest it differently. Rather than having a four or $5,000 a month direct mail bill, we spend that in Uber and Lyft, where we send people wherever they want to go. There's no limit. You need a ride to LAX, and it's a $200 Uber ride. Uber's right here. They're here in five minutes. Done. We reinvest our money different into the five-star experience for our client. So if it's going to enhance the five-star service experience for the client, you get a green light. And we're trying to plant that seed where we harvest the organic review. We don't ask the client to leave us a five-star review. One of the things I hated when I got my first dealership job... I walked into the service department and it said, yes, in five. Donnie, what the hell is that? <laughs> well, what it was is the CSI scores and dealerships are really big on this. You needed a yes and a five on your survey or you lost 25% of your paycheck. So every service advisor as the customer is leaving is, oh my gosh, hey, Jim, please remember, you're going to get a survey from Volkswagen. Yes, is in five. Yes, is in five. Yes, is in five. I'm like, Hi, there's no way in hell I'm saying that, right? Like, I didn't care. If I did it and I made the mark, what is he going to tell them? You were begging on the street corner for your money. Well, I wasn't. They were. Oh, you, I would never do that. Oh, you quit. No, I didn't quit. Oh, I let my performance give me my score. Hey, if I screwed up somewhere and I wasn't good at promise times and the car wasn't ready when promised and I got a no, I wanted to know that. I want the truth. And it's the same thing with your reputation. So understand this. With online marketing, with your reputation, the scorecard changes every 90 days. If I did a great job the first quarter of 2017 with Freedom Auto Repair and we got 3,000 reviews, but we haven't had a new review since April 1st of 2017, what does it tell the motoring public about our business? Something happened. We're not real anymore. We're not relevant. So you need a fresh new crop of reviews coming in daily. Think about this. How many cars does your shop service every single week? Give me a number. 50, 90. 90 opportunities to generate a five-star review, yet how many reviews did you get last week? I guarantee you there's not many shops that got nine. That is a 10% success rate. That means that 90% of your clients 
are so indifferent about your service that they're not going to go share their experience with the world. That means you're mediocre at best. Your cup is draining. So what I look for is what is our rate of five-star reviews every single week and what's the percentage? And I'm not even at 10%. And I want to get there because the experience your client gets from your shop, they should leave. And when they get to their car, they should turn around and look at your shop and go, I have no idea what the hell just happened, but I want to experience it again. I'm going to tell everybody about this place. That's what you want. And when you build that reputation, it will catch on like wildfire. We are now seeing the two-year payoff from Yelp, where we have customers pull in. You can't even get into our shop over the last week. You can't find a place to park. They park down the street. They walk in and they go, is Jeremy here? Yeah, you're the guy. I want to talk to you. Well, how'd you hear about us? Yelp. My car has a problem. Can you fix it? It's not about price. It's who's told that story for us. Not me. It's our client experience. So if you get that experience in every person that connects with your client at car delivery, they've got to ask them to share their experience with the world. And they will. So like Sarah's, you know, millennial Gen Z, they're going to go share their story if you deliver on the media that they found you. And I don't care what media it is. Please go share your experience with the world. That's what we ask. I have a side question for you. Yes, sir. If you're the man, the center of attention, the guy on the counter, how do you go out and how do you leave and do the, you know, do, you know, service advisor fix? I mean, how do you go out and train? Who do you leave back there? And here's the reason. I want our people here to hear that because, you know, when I asked if you're on the counter and some of you raised your hand, I think you're in the wrong job. Plain and simple, Jim, am I right? They're in the wrong job. And, and how do you do it? Well, it's, it's been hard. I mean, Advisor Fix, since the shop has uh, shrunk by 80% as far as clientele and revenue, just because of the time commitment. Um, but, you know, the purpose is there for the shop. So I can probably tell you, like, the very first one-star review I got was at Vision in 2017. Uh. <laughs> oh, no, I, I remember the evening and everything. It was like a very emotional the painful moment for me. Right. And, uh, um, so to answer your question, it all comes down to culture. I'm not, I mean, yes, I am the man, but I'm not the man. Okay. It's every single person. And Danny alluded to it earlier. Like Yelp is a double-edged sword, right? It's very fickle. They may come in, but they're going to judge you on the experience first and foremost. So, you know, we play a game in our shop. If a customer comes in on Yelp, we let everybody know, Hey, this person found us on Yelp. Do we have our five-star boots on? Like the customers at the counter were in the middle of the write-up. Before we write the ticket, we open the garage and yell that out to the technicians. If we don't get a very strong yes, we say, that's not good enough. Hold on, Carm. We're almost ready. Hey, guys, they found us on Yelp. Can we give them a five-star experience? Yeah, we'll do it. Okay, let me have your keys. And we have so much fun with this. The customers love it. We, we engage them with it. So it's a cultural experience. And everybody's committed to delivering that five-star experience to that client every single time. So the hardest thing that I've had with the advisors is finding that attitude. I cannot train being nice. I can't train likability. If you're a negative human being, I'm sorry. The counter's not the spot for you. Go find a different line of work. Because it sucks. You are interrupted all day long. You may have the perfect agenda. You're expected to take in so many cars, deal with a 
a client that would rather go see the dentist than come see you, right? You're and you guys have rust here. I mean, we're lucky in California. We don't have any rust on cars. We we get a car from the Midwest. We're like, where'd this car come from? Oh, it came from Chicago. Sorry, we can't work on it. What's the brake job? I know, but we don't know how to get rusted brake bleeders out. It's <laughs> like, I, we don't have a torch. We don't have a permit for it. So we don't use the torch. <laughs> Send those cars elsewhere. So are you working yourself off the, uh, off the counter or out of the centerpiece of the business? And, and, and if you are, do you have a two or three or four year plan? Well, it's got to be faster than that. I right. mean, for me, it's, uh, it wasn't, it's so much about <laughs> not necessarily having to travel. I love doing events like this, but if I never see the inside of an airport again, I'm going to be so happy. It's just, you know, after you travel so long, it gets it, to the point. It, and, you know, my kids now, so I've got a 15-year-old, 11-year-old, 9-year-old. So I think for me, the next six years is being home. Really important. Yeah, it, it is. And, yes, to... Get out of the business. I mean, Carm, I love the game. I know you do. It's so. I ask you that, I, Donnie. Uh, you know, Donnie's got a shop, and Donnie's everywhere. He's he's Donnie. You're everywhere, and and I hear this too much, too often. I can't leave my shop. I, I want to grow, and I want to have another shop, but the whole world of my shop rotates around me. Every level of perfection, every shake of every hand, every speck of dust and dirt and clean floor, you know, I'm, I'm the person in charge of it. And, you know, and, and I think that stifles growth. I think it stifles the building the right culture. And I, I think it's one of the biggest and most important topics we can cover. Well, it goes back to processes, obviously. I think for me to work myself off the counter to get out of the day-to-day is have processes in place, but it takes the people to do that. So people and processes are going to create the profits. I, you know, you on the, one of the first interviews you and I did, you asked me a question that, does a shop have to have a service advisor today? And... I honestly can't answer that because obviously it depends. And there are times as a shop owner, depending on the smaller shops, single operators, there's times where it's beneficial to go back on the counter for a week to really figure out what's going on, to see, take the temperature of the marketplace, to see what's happening. You know, how are customers price shopping you? How many incoming leads did you get that week? And how many of those customers already had pricing? How many customers call your shop or inquire, hey, I have this part, can you install it? What's the market driving? So I like being in the business for that reason. But yes, I've got six month plan to get off and be out of the day to day. Donnie, in a few minutes, could you share how you get a chance to leave your business? I know dad's there, but. Well, I'll take you to the beginning. I had to actually work into it when dad said, you know, you're going to. Yes, I want you to work in the business. It took four years before customers would talk to me instead of him. I was already the one fixing their cars. They just had no idea. I need to talk to Don. Like you wouldn't talk to Don, but Don has no idea what you're do what we're doing at the moment because he hasn't been here all day because he was off running around the country volunteering. Yeah, your dad, do. Don. Yeah. Your dad's Don. You're Donnie. Okay, that's right. right. That that was okay. one way we could differentiate ourselves. All right. So as an adult, I still have a child's name. Sorry. <laughs> so, at any rate, um, now the challenge was. I had developed this rapport with all of these hot rod customers and all that, and they don't want, nobody else can touch my car. And it's like, news, I don't touch your car. I just direct traffic. And so that was a challenge. So now when you've got advisors doing that, what I eventually have did and what I do now is I am technical support. I manage the training program. 
and I find the really weird parts. Okay. And I do it all with this. The service advisor says, where in the hell do I find brakes for a 47 Cadillac? And I say, oh, you call McVeigh's, they got them. Got Phone it. number's in the list. So I, I asked those questions because so many of you out there were technicians and then you started your business. How many business owners here love to, would, would love to be a technician again right now? Uh, okay, and, and some of you that didn't raise your hand, that maybe that you should. I remember interviewing Kevin Eckler. Well, are you paying a hundred grand a year, and do I get overtime? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Ah, because it's absolutely. sixty hours a week. Yes. I could probably make one hundred eighty yes. grand yeah. a year. I'm going to sign up for exactly that job. Right. And we're going to discuss that this afternoon. This afternoon is how do we pay our techs one hundred thousand dollars a year compensation package, but. Uh, where was I? Kevin Eckler uh, was, was a great interview. He's from Poughkeepsie, New York. And he said to me, uh, he failed miserably, admitted it, hired a business coach, ta- taught him the way. And he, and he says, so now what do you think I'm doing? What I absolutely love to do, playing triage in the shop mm-hmm. and, and, and you know, assigning work and being there for the team. But he can go on vacation and he can leave because he made sure that he wasn't a critical element of his business. But he didn't do it. Uh, immediately, it took him, I don't know how many years of losses and, you know, being in a miserable shape and a divorce and in a real ugly situation for him to realize that he needed help. But he found his place because he hired the people to do the things that were critical and important in their business that he was unwilling to do. Well, you know, Carm, we're in the unique place in the industry right now because you could literally be a technician who's really, really good open your own business and build your own board of directors from people sitting in this room. Sure. Right. You can ask another shop owner, Hey, since you do this and I do this, why don't I be your training advisor and you be my business advisor? And why don't I get Jim to come in and help me run my business or Sarah to help me run my business? Danny can make sure I know how to market. He can teach us uh, how to actually sell this service properly. I got Noah over here, so I don't have to deal with that piece. And I got an HR company that handles the payments and all that kind of stuff. That's how our business is structured now. Evolving business models. Excellent. You know, I think there's a um, there's a, uh, a slippery slope that we just need to stay off of when we talk about these kinds of things. And that is that the... the the business has to evolve for you to be successful. So uh, the, every business does not, like Jeremy is doing what he's doing now and clearly successful. It, it, when you work in the counter uh, yourself as the owner, it, things always go a lot better because you have a vested interest in it. We all, we all kind of know that. It's having other people do the same thing that becomes the difficult part in managing and growing the business. But if you look around at the landscape of what the auto repair industry looks like right now and how we continue to uh, you know, evolve, you know, the, the three-man operation does not have to go away. Donnie is certainly talking about some things, you know, and I, I'd love to listen to Donnie and we sit down over a beer. And um, I'm glad that I don't, I still understand most of what he's talking about. So I'm happy about that. But we do not have to become the most technically advanced shop to continue to survive in this environment. People are still going to need, I know they need less brakes, but they still need them. They still need tires. They still need tune-ups. They still need water pumps. They still need power steering pumps and rack and pinions. Cars still things mechanically that most of us can probably continue to repair now for another 10 or 20 years. So that. That model doesn't have to go away. It's still very viable, and many and many of uh, our, uh, our 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 people who my dad who started in the business and the people maybe that you took over the business from back way when they made a great business from themselves and turned hand it over onto somebody else. 
And my point, besides the fact that you don't have to grow to be successful into something that uh, the automotive industry says you have to, the point is, is that that model exists and it's going away. And Donnie and I just had this conversation. It's still link. It's still a lingering thing in the back of my head. In that it used to be that when the racks were bolted to the ground, that building was a shop forever. It never was anything else. That's not true anymore, and a lot of small shops are going away. And that's not the way we're going to continue to grow this business because there's still plenty of work for everybody to do, and consolidating isn't going to be an answer of how we continue to grow. We still need to have the small operators combined with the people who do want to grow into a two, three, uh, four bay operator uh, shop location operation, but there's still plenty of room for the small guy. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, I think, Danny, to your point, we're kind of talking about two different approaches, and you have to just be aware and you have to think about how that model needs to evolve. Right. Because as there's less frequency per vehicle, it means you need more vehicles, right. which means you need to market more right. or be very creative about how you're promoting your business right. so that people are bringing you those types of repairs without then also getting so pigeonholed that this is all we do. Right. It's, it's, so it's all tricky. Yeah, and it's just understanding your business model. But it doesn't have to. There's no one model that we say this is the future of automotive repair and aftermarket. There are a lot of ways to get really get this done. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time.